Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. We're going to go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Welcome, I'm Pastor Calhoun. I helped start this church with a team of people, and we're so grateful that we have a place where we know you. We're big enough to serve you, small enough to care kind of thing. You use what you have when you need it. Amen. Thank God for this place. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house of God today on Easter Sunday. Amen. I usually say Happy Easter, call your sister, but I won't say that today. Because it's just way too corny and it just really kills the spirit. (laughs) John chapter 20. The jokes get better, I promise. It says, In the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early. She's early, ahead of everybody else. When it was yet dark, until the sepulcher. Now that's faith right there. Faith is the faith is the one that goes in the dark when there's no light yet. Faith is the bird that sings for morning when it's still dark outside. That's the kind of faith that Mary had. She said, I'm going to see if Jesus is still in the tomb. And seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. This just doesn't happen. Then she runneth and she cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciples and whom Jesus loved, that was John the Baptist, the beloved, or John the beloved, and said unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, John the beloved, apparently John the beloved was doing some cardio, because it says he ran, he outran Peter to the tomb. Yeah, he was doing some CrossFit, right? So they ran both together, And the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher and he stooped down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, the linen clothes lying, that's very important, seems small but it's very important, yet went he not in. Some people are driven by their heart and will get there first. Other people are driven by their head and will go further in because they want the facts. And that's what Peter was. He was driven by his head, not just his heart. He was a man that was driven by his heart as well, but we'll deal, we'll deal with that a little bit later. Then come as Simon Peter following, and he went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin. Everyone say the napkin. That was with, that was about his head, about the head of Jesus. Not lying with the linen clothes, not clumped up and just thrown off to the side, but wrapped together in a place by itself. It was folded and set aside. There's a reason for that. I hope to help you get this revelation today. And maybe maybe it'll be new for you. Maybe it won't be. But I want to go a little bit deeper than the surface here. And then verse 8 says, Then went in also the other disciple. Well, he finally decided it was okay. He went on in, which came first to the sepulcher. And he saw and, be- and believed. Everyone say, and he saw and believed. He needed to see it first. When he saw the napkin folded and set aside, he believed. Lord... We just ask you to touch the hearing, the reading of your word. We thank you for a wonderful Easter Sunday. God bless us today as we take in this word. Let it become flesh. Let it dwell in us. Let it give us hope. Let it come back to us. Remind us again that you are a God who gets up. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. God bless you.
welcome all of our visitors. Let's give them some love and welcome them. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Amen. Good to have you here. Sometimes on Easter, um, people come out to church, and that's that's a good thing. I think that's very important. Um, I personally have lived a lifelong journey of going to church every single Sunday. My particular religion growing up, we were in church to watch the pastor if he was going to paint the wall. <laughs> we were there to watch the paint dry. I mean, we went to church like three, four times a week, literally. We had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, prayer meeting Tuesday night, then Bible study Thursday night if we wanted to go for another Bible study. And if you weren't totally saturated at that point, you could do a Friday night youth rally. Woohoo! <laughs> you wore yourself out on church. It's surprised that I haven't had enough church that I'm already gone to heaven. I mean, sooner or later, you go to church enough, you should just like, you know, go, right? But unfortunately, that's not the case. We have to serve the Lord with all of our heart and love him all of our life. And we have to have a relationship with him that lasts all of our life. Religion won't last you all your life. Relationship will, amen? You have to be close enough to him to hear his voice when he speaks. And so we, we see a beautiful story here. We're talking about the resurrection and the life. I need my iPad. I totally forgot to bring it up here. I appreciate you, Sarah. Thank you. Give my wife a big hand. I do apologize for missing my iPad. We're trying to truncate our service today because y'all have brunch to go to. Or somebody does. I don't know. But I did leave my notes down there, and I do apologize. Which reminds me, of course, of a story. Which everything does remind me of a story. There was a... Filipino professor and he was just graduating he was flying on a flight and he met Einstein on the plane and Einstein said let's play a game we're traveling together you're a graduate professor and he said I'll ask you a question and if you can't answer you give me $50 and he said you're Einstein how am I going to win this and he said um, well here, here's the deal then you can ask me a question and if I can't answer it I'll give you $500 and though he was a professor, he was not done with math. So he said, okay, I'll play. And so Einstein asked him, what's the distance between the earth and the moon? And the man said, oh, you know, we have engineers. I, I just, I don't know the answer to this. Here's $50. And he said, okay, it's your, your turn. Ask me a question. He said, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? And Einstein ran the algorithms and all the math and all the history and all the stuff that he had in his head. And he said, I don't have an answer. Here's $500. He said, okay, your turn, Einstein, to ask the question. Why do we always tell somebody when they're being silly that they're, way to go, Einstein? doesn't really honor that man, does it? And he goes, okay, I'll ask a question. But before I ask the question, I want to ask you, what does go up a hill with three legs and come down with four? And the man reached in his pocket and pulled out $50 and gave it to Einstein. <laughs> I may be a professor in psychology, but I do know math. That's a $400 gain right there. Sometimes... You can miss the point while you're trying to miss the point. But I really, I really, we're trying to make a point. But what I really want to do is focus on the life of Jesus Christ for a minute and how he did rise from the dead. Scholars, skeptics, atheists, they cannot handle the fact that there is no body risen. In other words, what they, what they would easily be able to do to debunk that Jesus actually lived and was resurrected is if they could present the body of Jesus dead. 
If you could give me a body, if you could give me a tomb where he's at, where he's still laid, then he's not the risen Savior. Then he could not get up like he said. In three days, you destroy this temple, I will raise it up. He was the one who met with John the Baptist who said, I am the one that was and is and is to come. I was Alpha, Omega, the beginning and the end. And even if the enemy didn't understand the plans of Jesus, the Bible says if the enemy had known, he would not have crucified Jesus because by crucifying him, his death brought us all life. Amen? And we all believe that. That's in our hearts. And that's why we come to church on Sunday. We don't come here to see if you have a nice car to drive or a nice suit to wear on Easter. We come to celebrate the one called Jesus. We've come to see him and his glory and his power. We've come to feel his presence because he is so beautiful in that he didn't stay on a lofty throne in heaven, but he divested himself of his glory, came down into earth, formed in flesh, born of Mary, the virgin, and then through life walked out his life and his vision and his will. And then when he got to Golgotha, when he, when he came to the place of the skull, he literally surrendered his whole life for us. And that is the most beautiful story, the story of a friend who laid down his life for another. There is no greater love, the scripture tells us, than a man laid down his life for his friend. I'm thankful for a friend like Jesus. How about you? I'm thankful for a friend like Jesus. In the scripture, we see them running to the tomb, and I'm not going to be long today, but I want you to see something very beautiful that happens in verse 7 that whenever they wrap somebody in burial garments, they would spice them, they would do different things that were supposed to help the degradation process not smell so bad, and they, they would wrap them in grave clothes. It was a way of honoring their dead, but they would do a separate wrap that was around the head. It was often the tallit or the, the Jewish prayer garment, the garment that they wore all their life, that when they would kneel down, either in a place of prayer, they would put the shawl over them as a prayer shawl. It was something they did in antiquity, and it was something that they used as a way to close themselves in. The Bible talks about when you enter into your closet of prayer, it's not talking about a literal four walls. It's actually talking about them pulling up that Jewish garment and putting it over their head to where they cannot see out it, but they were just set, sequestered with God. They were in this little place where they were just interceding and praying and communicating with their God. And so because they lived their life with that prayer shawl, every time they got up in the morning, they'd pray. Every time they went to bed, they'd pray. On the Sabbath, they'd pray. They would bury that head shawl with them and they would wrap it around their head saying that they belong to Jehovah God. That's what that meant. They belong to God. They're buried with Christ. Amen? And so whenever they went into the tomb and they saw the napkin just folded up and set over to the side, it was more than just a, a, a prayer cloth at that moment. What it actually said was that Jesus wasn't done with that situation yet. If you know the customs of the Jews, you know that in, in more primitive times when they had servants, the servants would come in to serve the guests, and the guests would would sit down to the table and there was often a, a moment where there was uh, very important guests at the table and so the, the the owner of the house and would bring in the guests and they would sit down and the servants were supposed to serve but be very invisible they would step out and serve the table or clean the table then they would step back and let the the fellowship go on among the those that were at the table and so there was a Jewish custom that if you were at the table and you had to leave for some 
some reason that you would get up and you would bunch up the napkin and you would set it next to your plate. And what that communicated to the serving staff that were serving the table was that I'm not done or I'm, I'm done with my meal. You could either set it aside or you could bunch it up and throw it on the plate. But that meant that I was finished eating this meal. But when they walked in and they saw the head garment folded and set aside, what it was saying to them in their Jewish custom, Peter would have known right away. And when the other disciple entered in, he said he saw and he believed. In other words, he saw the head napkin folded and set to the side because when a guest would get done, they would take their napkin and they would say, well, I'm coming back to this. I just got to step away from the table for a minute and deal with something and I'll be right back. Maybe they got a text or a phone call or maybe something happened and they had bad Wi-Fi at Peter's house, you know something so they folded their napkin and they would set it on the side carefully and what that said is I'm coming back I'm not done with this meal don't clear the table and the servant staff would stay in the shadows they wouldn't step forward and do their work because they knew that that communicated I'm not done yet in other words it was about his head that means government in scripture that means authority that means kingship and as gruesome as it may seem in the antiquity in the old testament when they would conquer us country or they conquer a land they would behead the king and they would take it back with them saying the government has been thrown down because the head has been removed I'm sorry that it's Easter and I have to tell you that but I want you to understand what it means to have a head napkin about the head of Jesus Christ folded and set aside it doesn't just communicate the Jewish custom of I'm coming back I'm not done here yet this is not the finish of this moment what he was also communicating was I folded the head napkin, meaning normally when a king dies, the government transfers to the next available person. But when he folded that napkin and set it aside, anybody understand what I'm saying right now? You with me? He was actually saying that even though I have died like every other king, my kingship is eternal and it is glorious and they can't take it away just because I went into a tomb. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? He's saying, unlike any other man that's ever lived, risen, and died, or been decapitated, and the, and the government has moved on to the next available person, even though I've died, I'm not done here yet, and I'm also not finished being the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible said in Isaiah that his government shall be upon his shoulders. Where do you find the head? On the shoulders, amen. I used to thought it was always the brass, you know, like in in military. That's like, oh, hey, he's a general, five stars, man. He's got something going on. There's a couple of guys who were in Australia, and they came out of a of a place of fellowship, and they had had liquid refreshment, probably too much, and they stumble out. They were happy to be in in Australia, and they they walk over to a guy that comes up to them. And they didn't know he's a heavily decorated naval officer, and and they said, hey, mate, do you know where we are? And the decorated naval officer points at his medals on his chest. He goes, do you know who I am? Like, do you, do you understand you're speaking to a captain right now? Or, a, you know, someone that has a lot of responsibilities. And the other guy that looks at, looks at his friend and he goes, bloke, we're in trouble. I don't have a good Australian accent. You're just going to have to work with me on this. He goes, we don't know what we are. And he doesn't know who he is. Jesus, Jesus was 
the one who had government rested upon him. He's the mighty God in flesh, the everlasting father in a body. Amen? He's the king of kings and lord of lords. So what he communicated by folding that napkin was Peter walked in and goes, he's coming back. Notice, notice for me that Mary was concerned about where the body was. She was at the point of the atheist. Show me the body. That means he's not gone. But they didn't care about the body after they saw the napkin. Jesus will always leave you a communication that he's not done with your situation. He will always make sure you hear a word from the Lord through the preacher or you hear a word from the Lord in your devotion or you have a friend come up and encourage you in faith. Somehow he's going to get you a communication about your situation. You may think it's done, it's over, that relationship is finished, you'll never climb any higher in that company. You may feel like it's a dead situation, but his empty tomb tells us that there is no value in dead things for he has communicated to us that there is life still happening. Something is going on. There may It may look like death, but this tomb's empty for a reason. Don't go looking for my body, he was telling them. I've left you communication that there's going to be life and life more abundant coming real soon. That's the communication he left for them. He didn't leave them without a sign. He didn't leave them without hope, and he'll never leave you without hope. Know this, that whenever he was a, a God who had all power and all authority, that we know that his kingship, the headship, the, the, the lordship of Jesus Christ, he had all power in his hands, the Bible said. He could have come down off that cross, called the legions of angels. But he said, I'd rather die here than live forever without you. I don't want a heaven empty of those that I love. There was always a transfer of government when you change kings. Kingdom just means kingdom's domain. And we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, don't we? In other words, what we're saying is let your kingdom be in me. I don't want to be driven by only my head. I want to be driven by the the head of all things. So what he's saying is, I may have died, but I still deserve to be your king. I still deserve to be your Lord of Lords, your highest, most elevated government in your life. Don't be autonomic or don't be autonomous in your decision making. Let your head and your mind and your faith be submitted to my headship, my lordship. And so... I want you to know that there's places in Scripture where there's beautiful transitions. Remember that man, John the Baptist? You remember him? A little bit crazy. He liked locusts and honey. Man had a thing for protein, didn't he? Ugh. Wore camel suits. Think about it for a minute, though. He had the first come-as-you-are church. People showing up in shorts and T-shirts and flip-flops out by the riverbank. His daddy, Zacharias, was back in the nice suit in church. He, he reached more people. Forgive me for stepping out here. I hope I didn't make you comfortable. I, I could come a little closer, but I, I'll try to stay up here. I get a little bit excited, and I, I'll start walking. And they're like, go back to your notes so we can get out of here. <laughs> but he was 
more effective in a camel suit eating crickets than Zacharias was in the temple with everything put together, with everything where it needed to be. I think we have to understand the beauty of the priesthood. I'm not downing that. Understanding how God brought them out of Egypt and taught them how to walk with him through the desert and built a tent and said, this is how I'm going to meet with you and gave them physical things that represented spiritual things. And as we moved out of the Old Testament and Jesus died on that cross, as it jolted into the ground, he changed our Sunday to our Sabbath. It was a Sabbath that was Friday sundown, right, Charles? To Saturday sundown. And the Bible tells us that we were to keep it holy and not to work on that day. But some of us have to work on Sundays, amen? How are we not violating the scripture? Because Joel, when he prophesied, he said, with stammering lips and another tongue shall I speak to my people. I'll get back to that. He said, for this is the rest where you shall cause the weary to rest. That word rest is the same word that we get for Sabbath, the day of rest. So when you study scripture, you understand that every day is a resurrection Sunday, if you have the Holy Ghost. We don't have to live as people that are so strict about what day we go to church. Well, we are are specific about going on Saturday. That's really the day that the Lord told us to do Sabbath. We don't work. We don't do anything. If you don't understand that whenever that, that Old Testament passed away, there's, there's laws and there's things and there's examples that we are to use for samples and instruction, but they all spoke to Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost living inside of us. That the changes that came when he came to the cross changed everything. Amen? Amen, somebody. I'm so glad he's alive. So John the Baptist preaching at the water's edge baptizing people Jesus the crowd parts and Jesus steps up and he said behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and he baptizes Jesus and he said I must decrease and he must increase and so then we see that John the Baptist is emptying the synagogues in Jerusalem to baptize them to baptize them unto repentance they didn't even have a full understanding of baptism at that time but yet they all came out because they felt the passion of this man's heart that loved God. One atheist said he was going to watch a preacher preach. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon he was going to watch. And they asked him, they said, they said Mark, you don't even believe in a God. And he said, yeah, but that man does. And I want to go watch somebody preach that believes that much in God. The movement of the heart. I can tell you facts all day long. But if I can get to your heart, that's what Jesus did. He said, I'm coming that I might capture them. And then when he got done with everything that he did, he walked out of death, hell, and the grave with the keys of both, all three, in fact. And so when he left there, he was saying that I'm, I may be the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world, but there has to be a change that has to take place. And so John the Baptist ends up in jail, and, and Herodias is is there and and there's a bunch of people that are gathered together and, and before King Herod and I believe it's Herod check me if I'm right but anyways uh, check me if I'm wrong I should say but 
I did read the story. It's just been a while because I work too. I have another job. So King Herod was actually having this party and he and Herodias' daughter dances in and makes and makes them all very excited and they're all like, hey, she's doing a great job. You've pleased my visitors. And he said, what would you like to have up to half of my kingdom? And she runs out and asks her mom and her mom says, tell him to give the head of John the Baptist who's in prison on a charger. What a gruesome request. So they go and he's, of course, bound by his word as a king and he has all these high-ranking officials there at the table. So he has to keep his word. He said, call for an executioner, go and do it. And they do it. And when they cut John's head off, the disciples of John went and told Jesus. They went and buried the body of John the Baptist. And the first thing they did was they went and told Jesus. I used to like to preach that when there's things that happen in your life that you can't tell anybody else, just go tell Jesus. You cannot talk to anybody about it. They will not understand it. They will not even know how to support you. But if something happens that you do not understand as they didn't understand, just go and tell Jesus. But there's also a deeper meaning because when they went and told Jesus, they were saying, John's headship has been removed and it has been moved to Jesus. So what happens is Jesus puts a handkerchief in the grave and says, I'm not done here yet. And forever, it's a testimony to our lives that when something feels like it's over, if we surrender it to Jesus, he'll put new life back in it. Amen, somebody. Amen. That is the need for resurrection in our life. There's so many things that we have to deal with, but the beauty of the power of the Spirit is that God approaches us and says, do you want life? Can I give you light in your darkness? Can I give you hope in your hopeless situation? Only he can change that. Only he can make new what's been lost. Would you stand with me today? I'm so thankful that he was communicating to them that even though I have be I've begun a work as a priest, he actually went away to produce in us life and joy and hope, but he also made a sacrifice for us of himself. He was the blood of the lamb, and he was the high priest doing the offering. Only Jesus could have done that. And so when Mary stayed and others left, she stayed because her heart desired to see him. Look at what happens. If you read through, maybe you want to today, read through the rest of John chapter 20. But later on, in verse 15, I don't think the media team has this. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She's still looking for his body. She's like, they've taken him, and I, I don't know where they've laid him, and I'm beside myself. She truly loved Jesus. In verse 16, it says, Jesus said unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. My head, my leader, my Lord, my king is what she was saying. Are you a kingdom without a king today? Do you need Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? This is what happens whenever you're searching for Jesus. She was searching for him and she could not find him. And she thought he was the gardener. But when he called her name, she knew it was him. She said, Master, how many have ever had God call your name through your circumstances, through your situation? You didn't know how he was going to reach you, but he called your name one day. 
And you couldn't help but say, I, I surrender everything to you, my master, my Lord. That's what we want to do here today. Would you bow your head with me? Jesus, we ask somebody in this room that they would open their heart to you, but they would also open their faith and their head to you, Jesus. Yes, it's with our head we choose to love. It's with our heart that we fall in love. But whenever we choose to love somebody day in and day out, as we've chosen to love you, Jesus, you can lead our hearts to a place where we can enjoy that love. Would you help us again to be reminded that no matter what it looks like, you have folded a napkin and set it aside in the tomb to remind us that we shouldn't seek the living among the dead things, but also to remind us that you may not be done with that situation yet, that if we would surrender it to you, it doesn't make much sense sometimes the things we go through but you're the God who has all answers. You're the way, the truth, and the life. And we surrender our sepulcher today. We surrender the places where we have given up. We surrender the places where we couldn't do it. We surrender the places where we couldn't go. I ask you to help somebody today to walk into the tomb and to see that you are there for them. You haven't left them. You're just gone to do the work that redeems them and you'll be right back. Bring life into somebody's heart today, I pray, on this Easter Sunday.